This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com and on the Radio Show Limited's RS1 or whatever podcast service you're listening to us on. Thank you for joining us. Another big show coming your way. We speak to supercar driver and E-Series novice Todd Hazelwood about his experience on the sim. Chris Lewis-Williams from the Benalla Auto Club will talk to us about the Winton racetrack and what the COVID-19 lockdown situation is like for a track promoter. And we chat about the big story of the week and that is the Virgin Australia shutdown and how that affects the naming rights sponsor of supercars. Let's get straight into the news and as mentioned, the naming rights sponsor of Supercars Virgin Australia has gone into voluntary administration. The five-year deal with Supercars was set to finish at the end of the 2020 season, is reportedly worth $1.5 million a year and includes discounted ticket rates and access to Virgin's private VIP facility known as the club. However, all the sponsorship agreements for Virgin, which include Supercars and also the AFL, are now under the microscope, with the extent of the financial damage to be determined by the administrators. Virgin CEO Paul Scarra says we'll work through every one of those contracts as part of administration. Supercar CEO Sean Seymour conceded last week restarting its season would be difficult without Virgin flights, but said he was confident they will be flying with the airline into the future. Toowoomba-born IndyCar champion Will Power is the latest wildcard to be announced into the Supercar drivers list for the BP Supercars All-Stars E-Series. The 38-year-old IndyCar driver for Team Penske will join Shell V-Power Racing Team for the third round of the E-Series, this time to be raced at Bathurst. Joining Will as a wildcard this week is the only female full-time driver to have raced in the Supercar Series, Simona Di Silvestro, will return with the number 78 she raced with at the Nissan Altima at Kelly Racing. Simona says she's looking forward to driving the mountain once again. Hey everyone, it's uh, Bathurst time uh, as a wildcard in April, which is pretty strange, but uh, yeah, really happy to be joining the Supercars E-Series. I'll be back in my Harvey Norman colors, uh, the number 78. So hopefully you guys tune in. I think it's going to be a fun evening, fun morning for me. I'm really looking forward to it. Meanwhile, let's take a lap of the E-Series Bathurst track with DeWalt Racing driver, Scott Pye. All right, so uh, Mount Panorama, Bathurst, place that we're lucky enough to go to every year, this time twice, hopefully. But um, first corner, pretty tricky. It's just, uh, it's just hard because you've got this uphill exit all the way up Mountain Straight. If you don't get, don't nail the exit, then you're in real strife because you just pay for it the whole way up this hill. I've actually got... Uh, Phillip Island ratio is in at the moment, so I'll pull sixth up here, but the rest is pretty accurate. Might just run the limiter a bit harder in places. Turn two, love this corner. There's a big hump on the way in. You wanna get on top of that and then hard in the gas. This is again, really steep uphill. Don't realize it till you walk it. And then the cutting, really easy to lose the rear here. Lighten the brake. Oh, get it down and then try and get on the gas early. Miss the apex there. That's all right. Under the tree. Cool part of the track, this one, super fast. And then the great, this one's awesome. Light left foot brake, just at the bottom to get the front back in. Clip that curb and then run right out of the wall. McPhillamy, light lift on the way in, little brake the left foot. And then hard on gas on the way out. Oh, bit of grass. 
clear the break over Skyline, another shift, and then this one here, keep it as tight as you can to the wall, a little bit of gas, and then the dipper. Really cool part of the track. Downhill now, hard on the throttle, really easy to outbreak yourself into the elbow here, just because the braking zone pulls away from you. Run a defensive line there, and then the exit, probably one of the most important exits in the entire track, onto Conrod. Such a long straight here. Good opportunity to have a rest, shake the hands out. Certainly done that in real life a few times. But, um, and then yeah, hopefully set someone up for an overtake down into the chase. On the limiter just. Flat through the chase and then hard break. Hopefully overtaking someone. Clip that apex curve, all the track on exit. I tend to short shift third there. And then up to the last corner, we'll run the limiter here. About 100, second gear. And then on the front straight, there we go, there's a lap of the mountain. Hopefully I can tidy that up a bit, but there you go. Cheers. And the cancellation of the real-life racing series for supercars has taken its toll on drivers, with Brad Jones racing driver Todd Hazelwood telling on the grid he mentally went into a dark place after the Australian Grand Prix. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, to be honest, I was in a bit of a scary place. Not not scary place, but, you know, a bit of a dark place, uh, I think, once it all got announced and we weren't racing and you, all of a sudden you get out of routine, you, you start wondering, you start thinking about it too much, I suppose, and, and it's like, kind of like, like you're saying, you lose your job. And for me, it's, you know, looking, I suppose, if you look too far down the track of, of uncertainty, when, when there's uncertainty, it, it can do crazy things to the mind and um, you start overthinking, certain scenarios and what, what might happen and where the sport might be in, in, say, 12 months' time or 24 months' time. You don't know. So, obviously, for me, I've invested so much of my youth getting to this point now and, and finally feel like I'm in a position to hopefully keep moving forward and make a career for myself. And I'm still in that, that phase where I haven't... I don't feel like I've made it fully yet. So, I need to still keep working hard and use every day as an opportunity to keep improving, keep moving forward. So, when you get put into this position where... There's a whole, whole heap of uncertainty and you don't really know whether, what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, it, can, it, you know, it is a bit scary. More from Todd Hazelwood a little later in the program. A second straight victory in the IndyCar E-Series for Simon Pagano and Team Penske with tempers getting quite hot under the collar at the end of this race at Montegi in Japan. A frantic final 10 laps deciding the iRacing event. Teammates, fellow Penske driver Will Power and Scott McLaughlin coming together after racing for the lead with 10 laps to go and possibly the win when they came upon a lap car of Oliver Askew that caused Power to touch McLaughlin's car. McLaughlin limped home in 24th place while Power finished third. Power letting his feelings be known on Twitter. Uh, Alright, another day of iRacing done. Um, very good race actually. Had a great race with Scott Dixon, Scott McLaughlin, passionate came through. Collected all again at the end. Um, definitely was one wanker out there uh, and kind of cost us the race. But uh, apart from that, it was really good, really good racing. All right, that's all the news. Let's get straight into the show. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. And joining me now, Richard Crow from theracetalk.com. Hello, Crowsey. Hello, Tony Shebecki. How are you? Oh, mate, I am fantastic. Yourself? Uh, yeah, not bad. Not bad. Uh, slightly stare crazy, won't lie, but uh, I think everyone is, so I'm not going to complain about it. 
uh, chipping away with the racetalk.com. Lots of cool content going up. Thanks to our great friends at NTI, National Transport yeah. Insurance, Truck Assist. And uh, I've got to tell you, the uh, yellow cover power rankings have been uh, going very nicely. Uh, assessing each round of the BP Supercars All-Stars E-Series, the hot, not, or what list. Um, it's good. It's a good thing. So that's keeping my brain somewhat in gear during this period of shutdown. But looking forward to this show, Shebexter, we're, we're continuing a, a mix of entertainment and genuine insight because um, I'm really enthusiastic about the guests we've got on this week and just diving into how people are dealing with the shutdown of motorsport. Last week we had a major sponsor on and um, this week we've got a promoter and a professional race car driver as well. So dragging out some insights and then later in the show, um, we have a bit of, bit of a chat about the world as well. And a professional shit stirrer as well with Mark Gordon joining us <laughs> later on in the show. Let's kick Correct. it off though. Well, Crazy, last week we spoke about the effect of non-racing, I suppose, on sponsors. And this week we're going to have a look at the effect of non-racing on racetracks and the event managers, I suppose, is a good way to look at it. And the man who... Joins us now is Chris Lewis-Williams from the Banana Auto Club, of course, who run Winton Raceway. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Tony. Hi, Richard. How are you going? I'm very well, mate. Thanks for jumping on board. Um, I imagine it's a reasonably interesting time to be in control of a couple of racetracks which aren't doing a huge amount at the moment. It is not cool having, uh, having a promotions and a raceway business that can't do what it's set up to do. So... Yeah, unprecedented times um, from Winton, from Wakefield Park, the AASA as the sanctioning authority, and then also AMRS that, you know, kicked off with a really good round one and um, was, was on track to do round two at Morgan Park underneath the 500-person limit. And and the week before Morgan Park, the, the stage three restrictions came in and it, it just wasn't viable. So, yeah, we've, um, we've hunkered down... Um, Thankfully, the government incentives have been very good for us um, and you've got to thank the governments for seeing uh, ways that they could quickly support us, so both in terms of um, getting some taxes back but also that JobKeeper program is a ripper. Um, clever to use the employers to di distribute the money out to the market. So we've got some people stood down, you know, obviously catering staff and, and non-essential staff, but... We've still got some of the maintenance guys running around, painting, fixing, doing all those odd jobs you never get to. Um, and even, you know, at AASA and, and at the club, you know, fixing processes, updating paperwork, all those little things that you just get so busy doing when you're running events 52 weeks a year mm. um, that we can, we can crack on and get those things out of the way. It's not something you can prepare for, is it, Chris? It was just something that was thrown on us. And then all of a sudden, one week you've got this massive schedule of events and the next day, everything's out the window. Yeah, there was... Um, the, the, the first couple of weeks were really tough just with, you know, not only um, events that were too big to fit within the 500-person cap, but then other people that decided that they just didn't want to risk running an event. Um, and then you got to that real tipping point of, was it the right thing or the wrong thing to do to be to be running events when the world was sort of starting to close in on us? And you know, we had some pretty tough 
conversations as a management team, you know, is this the wrong look for us to be, you know, putting on events where people are playing with their cars and their motorbikes um, when, you know, there's some people that are really struggling out there. So the first one that went was obviously the, the cafe restaurant market and that was a big shock for everybody. And then it was only a week later that, that the 500 person limit was reduced back down and that effectively closed us all down and, and we're just doing whatever we can, you know, if you've got to get on a mower and mow some lawn or paint some lines or you just do what you've got to do to get the club through. You've made some, and the unfortunate thing about this situation is that you'd made some nice little tweaks to Winton in particular that were due to be unveiled uh, AMRS, I would imagine, but also at the supercars round, which is at this point still tentatively scheduled for June. We'll come to that in a minute, but so work is work is continuing on these circuits and that constant period of uh, improvement and 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 brightening up the place and making it look nice and pretty and improving the on track product as well continues unabated. Yeah, it's so now it's juggling cash a little bit, Richard. So yeah, you know, th- there's a really long list of th- things that we would love to do at Winton and Wakefield. Uh, you just have to now really look at at if it makes sense to do it now because we, we've got a long period of track activity and it's and it's not too much money, absolutely we'll have a crack at doing it. But one of the big things that, that we're going to knock off in this period is, is our 10-year plan for both venues. So we've got to get the really big project stuff drawn, rough-costed, you know, pretty brochures and flyovers on this is what we think Winton 2030 looks like um, so that when we can go back to business, you know, we think there'll be some incentives around to, to build stuff and, and get the market and the economy cracking again. So we want to make sure we're in a good position to, to show where we believe motorsport and motoring is going um, and that we want to have a facility set up to, to take advantage of that. Chris, I'm assuming that businesses we knew it before probably won't be the same as we know it in the future. And, and especially for probably the next 12 months, it would seem like, mass gatherings are still going to be fairly banned or, or restricted for at least the remainder of 2020. If we didn't want to get a, a, another crack at supercars for 2020, and I'm assuming that that'll be a, a part of the, the calendar, how is that going to look? I mean, even if, even with 500 people as a max, I would imagine that supercars would struggle to fit under that just with their staff and team staff alone. Yeah, we had... Um some chats with them would be three or three weeks ago now about obviously 500 person mass mass gathering can't happen. So we offered the circuit as a, um, as a TV only event at that stage, they were going, they, they said we can't operate um, with 500 people. Um, since then we've met another couple of times and, and they're really looking at the personnel on the ground um, and the way that it could happen. So, I mean, that, you know, we've all got challenges, you know, as, as do supercars about how they're going to fit in the events that they need to, the sponsors. I mean, they, they're getting attacked on all fronts, you know, um, Virgin, you know, yeah. it's just, it's, they're in, I don't want Sean Seamer's job right now. That would be <laughs> tough. That would yeah. be tough. Um, so we've put our hand up to help. We, we could turn on an event very, very quickly. So... You know, one of the things that we are doing in this period is making sure the circuit's ready. Um, the investment we did with the Alley Tracks lighting uh, a couple of years ago now, so we can run virtually official lists at the circuit. Um, we've got 
spoilt. We've got line of sight everywhere. So again, if if the restrictions of the 500 person mass gathering, but then also the Queensland borders. So with four teams up in Queensland, we've got to work out how logistics work with that. Um, but quite quickly, we could turn an event on. So we're talking with them and, and trying to find a solution with them, which hopefully gets them having a race um, and gives them a, a good product for, for Foxtel and for, um, for the fans out there that are hankering for a real supercar, not a virtual one. The, the, one of the interesting outcomes for mine will be where government support of motor racing comes out of this. And, I, and in particular, the street circuit events. Um, you, you'd have to imagine the Grand Prix is safe given the massive investment already put in place in that and, and how, I mean, you don't know, but uh, getting out of a Formula One contract, I imagine, isn't the work of a moment and probably very more expensive than actually just putting the race on. That's, that's another talking point. But events like Adelaide 500, events like Gold Coast 600, Newcastle, the street circuit, Townsville, Townsville um, yeah. that, are, that are expensive to put on. First things first, they're not going to run if they can't have crowds. So they'd be off this year in that scenario. But longer term, governments have just spent billions of dollars bailing out economies to try and get through this. Investing in those events aren't going to be a massive priority for all the good that they do bring. Do you feel like there's possibly a window, an opportunity here for the permanent racetracks to have something of a resurgence in the sport here? That's a very loaded question. <laughs> it is. As, as, as the custodian of two permanent tracks, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. Look, I, I think I think the marquee events uh, and the street circuits are, are something that brings the show to the people, and 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 absolutely, you can't um, deny the success of of Adelaide. Um, but you look at the comparison of a, of a hidden valley against a Townsville, and if the decision was made you know, 10 years ago to actually build a permanent circuit at Townsville, there's, there's no bitumen north, north of Brisbane, um, mm. which means you know, for one weekend a year, Townsville gets keen about motor racing and then they all go fishing. So whereas you look at, at Darwin and it's, it's got drags and club level stuff and state level stuff, and it's got a motorsport industry. And um, I, my personal opinion that, Townsville's a lost opportunity. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an army town. You could get plenty of land not far from town. You could add a permanent circuit, which would have built panel beaters, tyre guys, electric guys, engine guys, all that motorsport stuff that then hangs around. And you do drift and drag and all the stuff that is not just circuit racing motorsport. Um, that's, you know, that I think is the opportunity going forward. That, mm. um, that Motorsport on a per permanent track. I mean, ninety percent of what we do, we can fit in a five hundred person limit. You know, we're a, we're a participant based business. You know, once or twice a year, we're a crowd based business, but we are predominantly a participant based business. And making sure that, which is why there's no massive grandstand at Winton, because I'd look at it for fifty one weeks a year. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd rather have a better surface. Um, we'd rather improve the the pit area and and the and the pit lane garages and all that stuff because that's what we use day in and day out. So, yeah, look, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that, that perhaps permanent circuits um, are seen as the way that motorsport can be 
can be you know more viable going forward because I think you're right you know to ask a government for several million um, dollars to set this stuff up when post corona people are really suffering and jobs and you know I mean where the governments have been good is that it's a good news story too you know towns like Newcastle and Townsville like, like the big show and Adelaide you know loves the big show the Gold Coast is always a big show so mm. just just another weekend but yeah look um it's finding that balance you know how many how many permanents versus how many marquee events um and you know Bathurst this year you know it, it lives on what are there three and a half thousand campsites on top of the hill or something like mm. if if that can't be a crowd event its financial model looks really different as well so there's just so many things in the air and you'd like to think that there's going, there is some give and take in contracts and, and some negotiation somewhere where, um, you know, the, the we're all in this together statement becomes a real thing where we can work together and, you know, I don't need these many millions and we don't need this many millions. So maybe we can agree at a lower number and, and the event can go ahead. So, Chris, the Winton website still has June 5th to 7th, 2020 on its front page. I'm assuming yeah. every day we get closer to that, that's going to be off. As, have you had any discussion with Supercars about the possibility of when you guys might get a go? Yeah, so um, we get asked, you know, there's obviously camp, camping and crowd. Um, and I... I we are absolutely at the at the behest of, of the government. So when when they're comfortable with the numbers, when they're comfortable that they understand how the virus spreads, um, then I believe the 500 mass gathering limit will be reinstated. But for supercars, that doesn't work. So um, you know, we met as late as mid last week just to discuss the scenario. Um, we'll make a call in the next week or so. Um, but again, there's people that are um, wanting to know quite quickly, can I have my money back? You know, mm. particularly people that are hurting. So, and you know, if, if people want a refund, it's not a problem. But we're trying to put something on um, just what that looks like is all going to be up to, um, all going to be up to what the government's let us do. Yeah, and it's an interesting scenario for you, Chris, as well, just finally, because you co-promote that Truck Assist Winton Super 400 event with supercars. So there's, in the current model, there's a requirement for you to get a crowd, for you to get camping so that it's a financially viable thing for you as a promoter. So those models are all going to have to be re-engineered, as you said, and, and the business model behind this game is going to have to change so we can all get out of this, so you can continue to exist as a circuit and supercars can continue to exist as a as a racing category i would imagine yeah and, and we've talked about this before yeah um supercars is a really nice thing for winter motor raceway to have um from a history point of view um that we are the little circuit that could you know that we are this little group of guys that guys and girls that band together and 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 put ourselves through the stress of running a big event with a lot of crowd um but financially, it doesn't define Winton Raceway or the Benal Auto Club. Um, it's it's a lot of work, and supercars are a demanding customer. But they're the biggest show, and it I, I believe it pushes us. It, it makes us better as a business. You know, it it puts us under pressure, but it makes us deliver a product to a standard 
which I then believe trickles down to the other events that we run. And look, we, we will do everything in our power to make sure that, that we still work with them to deliver an event in 2020, whatever that looks like, and then be there for 2021, whatever supercars and, and the premium series of, of motorsport in Australia looks like. Because it's what we do, you know, we're, 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 we're racetrack people. We have the motorsport sickness. And Chris, a final one from me in regards to AMRS as well. Of course, you run uh, competitions interstate uh, all around the country. So up in through Queensland, New South Wales and the like. Should the travel restrictions also remain for a, a lengthy period of time, have you looked at the possibility of just maybe running rounds at just Wakefield Park and Winton for the remainder of the season when this clears up a little bit? Uh yeah, where once once we've got a picture of what we can do, then we'll look at what the circuit opportunities are. So, the real challenge that we're preparing ourselves for in the second half of the year is that there are going to be, let's say, best case twenty six weekends available, and everyone's going to want them. So, yeah. it's there's going to be a lot of juggling. You know, maybe a couple of car club dates together will get put together to make you know a car club festival on a weekend or something. You know, we've obviously got to focus on uh, revenue in the second half of the year. So so the the bigger the event, the better. You know, a little club draw higher on a Saturday where we could run a race meeting with 250 competitors. Um, I know what we're going to choose to run. So yeah. that's going to be a real challenge, having all those balls in the air. From an AMRS perspective, it's no different, but we're just trying to encompass other tracks. So, you know, that there will be the demand for track time in the second half of the year is going to be high. Um, but then also, what are people's wallets going to look like? You know, motorsports are discretionary spend at, at the club and state and AMRS level. So they're not pros. So how are they going to... Hopefully, business is okay. You know, there's some pockets of, of the industry. I'd like to be in the delivery business at the moment and I'd like to be... <laughs> My, one of my neighbours makes cardboard boxes and they are just off their head because everything's going to go in a box. So there's absolutely some pockets of of um, growth in this market, but there's also people that have been pretty badly hit and how much motorsport dollar is going to be around, we just won't know till we start putting the events up and, and seeing who comes to play. And I suppose uh, the other question that people would like to know the answer to as well, how hard financially is this going to hit Vanilla Racing Club. Is, is this something that could finish the club? No, 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 no. So um, I've been there four and a half years um, and with, with a really strong committee and a really good management team at the, at, the, at the circuits and the businesses, we've worked really hard on getting our debt down um, and on, on building cash reserves. And um, JobKeeper, as I've mentioned, is certainly helping cover off a fair chunk of the payroll. There are obviously some expenses that you can't switch off that you need to keep paying, um, but we are we're in a sound financial position and we can ride this bump. Uh, we've sort of got a June 30 date in our head, um, particularly looking at how the numbers are looking in terms of infections and transmissions at the moment. And if we can turn business on from June 30, yep, we've lost um, April, May, June, but um, you know there's a still good six months for us to. And we're a pretty low-cost business too. You know, we've been around a long time. We don't 
don't have a lot, you know, very, very low debt levels. And, and when we run events, we make money out of them and all that goes back into the club. Winton's, uh, Winton's Friday all-in practice days are pretty well known in the sport. I reckon the first one of those back, Chris, is going to be the busiest Friday practice day Winton has ever seen. There will be thousands of people lining up to just <laughs> to just get a run after three or four months on the sideline. So I think that could be a very good day for you and your racetracks. Pre-register. Go to the <laughs> website. Pre-register so we know you're coming. So we're certainly working hard on that. So you know Winton Friday we would just open the gates and whoever showed up, whoever showed up. So we're certainly working towards an online model where um, we know you're coming so we can deal with, if we're dealing with 50 cars or we're dealing with 150 cars, we just need to know so that we can make sure that the guys have a good experience so, so that we don't get completely smashed. So, yeah. but yeah, absolutely. You know, Friday test and tune is, is a real thing. And um, yeah, we can't wait for the first one to get everybody back on track and same at Wakefield, you know, Test days, bike days, performance test days. Um, you know, we miss not seeing cars go around around our tracks, um, and we just want this to get settled and 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 trust the governments are going to make the right call, um, and we can we can crack on with business. Hopefully, it's not too far away, Chris. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. And we'll uh, catch up again soon. Pleasure, anytime. Thanks, guys. Chris Lewis Williams joining us here on the grid. All right, Krause, uh, last few weeks we've been catching up with drivers in the supercars or the BP Supercars E-Series. We've got another one on the line to have a chat to us. And a guy that hasn't been doing too bad, actually. Of course, he's this year racing for Brad Jones Racing. Todd Hazelwood joins us. G'day, Todd. Hi, guys. How are you going? Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on board, mate. Really appreciate it. How's E-Series been treating you? Is it as fun as it looks? Oh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a huge challenge, no doubt about that. And um, as we were just saying before offline, it's uh, I've had more dramas in the simulator than what I've had in racing, I reckon, over the last uh, couple of weeks. It's been a real challenge just trying to get everything up up and running. You know, I was one of those drivers that had nothing uh, at my disposal apart from a Logitech G27. So I was a little bit unprepared going in. Obviously, it was a pretty quick turnaround between, obviously, the E-Series getting announced, which was a fantastic initiative from Supercars to get up and running and do it properly. But, uh, yeah, certainly had my work cut out trying to get up and running and I've had computer dramas, component issues, you name it. But uh, third round in this week and uh, looking forward to Bathurst and seeing how we go. Todd, you've got one of the more engaged driver fan bases of a lot of the drivers in the sport. You've always been very proactive in looking after your fans via Facebook, social media, meet and greets, sponsorship packages, things like that. What's been the feedback you've got from your fan base about this E-Series? Because certainly from a broad point of view, it's been unbelievably well received. Great TV ratings, really positive online commentary. What's been the feedback from, from the people you talk to regularly? Look, I think you covered it off for me, to be honest. It's been really well received um, after the first round. And I'm probably going into the first event, there's, I suppose, a few people that were a few people against the idea or not really convinced that, Esports was the way to go, but I think the way that supercars have managed it, you know, with the whole way it's been broadcast, the way the drivers have all got involved, you know, there's not one driver missing from the championship, which is, I think, a great tick in the box there. And the reception after the first event from my sponsors, the personal sponsors, the fan group was unbelievable. Everyone loved it. They loved the show. They loved the spectacle. And I think people were just dying to see a bit of entertainment on the screens, which I think is uh, something that. All of us are, you know, keen to see. So I think it fills that void perfectly. 
Um, and as I said, it, you know, the response has been you know, perfect for what we need to be doing. And for you as a driver, Todd, uh, what difference are you finding from being out there on a normal weekend to sitting in the sim? Is it the, the motion is the biggest difference? Oh, look, there's certainly a few challenges involved. Um, and for me, I never really dedicated too much time into simulators, to be honest. So I'm probably a little bit more old school where I put a lot of time into mental re rehearsal and, and video, um, I suppose, looking into those elements. So for me, jumping on a simulator, I've done bits and pieces over the years, but certainly haven't lived on it like some other drivers. And um, you know, just trying to get up the speed. And I think for me, the biggest thing is I didn't have probably have the equipment to give me the right amount of feel straight up. Um, so I was using a pretty baseline sort of product uh, initially to get up and running. Um, so I think for me, I was really, I suppose, struggling with the, the depth perception and in the braking zone, not having that feel, especially in a brake pedal, where in iRacing, the, the program that we're using, is very much like the real thing, how you drive the car. So the technique is critical. The supercar, as we know, is very tough in normal circumstances, and that's highlighted in the, in the iRacing platform compared to, say, a Formula 3 car with lots of downforce and error. You can get away with throwing the car around and, and get away with it in the game, whereas the supercar, it feels like you're on knife edge all the time. So when you lose that, I suppose, that, centri that sensory input of feeling the car underneath you and essentially using your left and right butt cheek as your two main senses, that's now being eliminated. So I think it's definitely a, a skill to be fast in a, in a, I suppose, in a simulator setup. Um, I think I'm getting better as the weeks go on and putting more hours in, which has been good. Um, but, yeah, I think just trying to get my head around getting that right braking technique. This, I've got a new pedal package for this week, uh, this week's uh, uh, Bathurst event. So, for me, there's been so many different little settings that you can play with and, and try and tune up. So, it's very much like the, the real thing. It's frustrating, but it's good when you get it right. And hopefully this week at Bathurst, it should be a lot better. The great thing about it, though, is, mate, you're better than Jamie Winkup. <laughs> yeah, look, it's funny to see some of these drivers, um, you know, jumping on and really struggling, which has been, I think that's kind of what makes the spectacle of e-racing, e that obviously we've got some guys at the front um, that are really, you know, putting on a fantastic show. Then we've got some big stars and big names at the back of the field making mistakes, causing chaos, and, and I think it's been fantastic to see. You know, I've been obviously in the, in the cockpit doing it, it's been Frustrating, but also a bit of a laugh. But then we actually watch the, the TV afterwards. It's, you know, it's, it's fantastic to see the way it's all coming across positive. First things first, uh, there's nothing wrong with a Logitech G27. I've still got one of those. Uh, useless, and it's barely set up most of the time, but they're great. Uh, secondly, it's interesting your comments on the brake pedal, and that's been the number one thing that everyone involved I've spoken to about is getting that brake pedal feel right and that, that initial hit and then trying not to lock brakes as you go into a corner, which translates so unbelievably lifelike from a, a real world supercar. The other interesting thing is, is that we're watching this series and, and while we're marveling at the people that are at the front doing an amazing job. So your Shane's and your Scotty McLaughlin's who are right there, but against the quote unquote professional e-racers, they wouldn't even be in the top 10 because the, the guys that do the simulator stuff are at another level entirely. Whatever it is that they do, they've cracked this magic code to drive, to drive a computer game faster than anybody else. So it's amazing, isn't it, though, that how lifelike some of this is in that there's a pecking order in real-world motorsport, whether it's team, car, driver, talent, ability, money. But 
when you go to the virtual world, it still exists. It's different, but it exists as well. It, it's funny, boys, how the similarities sort of stack up through all of this. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, we've got uh, an e-racer part of the Brad Jones Racing Team, Jack Burden, and I was having a bit of a chat with him when, once this old series got announced, and he said, maybe the more hours you put in, the better off you'll be. And he said, I live on them. He said, I, I don't get off the simulator, and that's all I do. So it's amazing how many hours these guys spend in that professional level of e-racing, you know, how much time they're, they're dedicating towards uh you know, sitting in the simulator, I almost felt guilty at first, you know, doing laps because I should be working away and I should be trying to get things done. But, you know, now this is my profession, I suppose. I'm now official gamer and, and trying to get ready for it. Well, and the other thing you need to be busy with, mate, is I'm of the of this understanding you've just bought yourself a house. So you've been <laughs> through all of this quarantine lockdown. You've, you've been moving houses as well. Could you make your life any more difficult? Well, look, to be honest, as much as we're in isolation, um, I was, when we actually got the keys to the house, would have been the week we're in Tasmania. Oh, right. um, so in some ways, yes, it's been super frustrating. We, we're not at the racetrack, don't get me wrong, but it has been a little bit of a blessing in disguise that I could actually move into my new place a little bit easier. I've got so much, more so race car and car stuff than anything else, but I've got so much stuff just boxed up. So it was good to actually have a bit of time to move in properly, um, get my life organised and... To be honest, this simulator stuff has been taking up pretty much all of my time. I've had, you know, I've had the computer dramas, had the equipment uh, give me frustrating times. So it's good to finally get on top of that as well. And um, yeah, certainly feeling more at home now in Melbourne. Has the project car made it down from Queensland? Yes, it has. It's, uh, I think the old Zephyr's has done more, more kilometres on dolly wheels than what it has in real life. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's uh, parked up in the shed now. And, you know, I'm pretty fortunate. I've actually got a shed now that I can put that in and start putting some serious hours in it. And um, you know, now, obviously, with the E-Series, that's up and running. But now I'm actually in a house and a bit more organised. I'm certainly looking forward to sticking my, uh, getting stuck into that project now and, and try and get it knocked off. One of your biggest supporters, Todd, of course, is your mum, Shazza. She uh, rides every bump every weekend at the racetrack. How has she been coping with the E-Series? Is she still getting into it? Is she yelling at the TV? Oh, uh, yeah, it's funny because after the first French, because oh, I was still crossing my fingers for the racing, <laughs> mum. <laughs> you know, you don't have to do that, you know. It's just okay. It's just a computer, computer game. But, um, yeah, look, she's... I think she's just missing her kids. Um, you know, she calls up Lauren and I every day. Just, I think she's bored at home. And, and fortunately, Dad's still working. He's in the railway, so he's busier than yeah. ever. But, um, you know, Mum's stuck at home and she normally does it. You know, she normally keeps busy in the community and doing things like that. So, for her, she's stuck at home and I think she's going crazy. So, I think she's cleaned the house inside out. Of it, but, no, it's all good. There needs to be some kind of e-sausage sizzle she can get <laughs> up and running. <laughs> I don't know how you could do that, whether, whether you could mail order them pre-cooked or I, I don't know. There, surely there's a way that this, the amazing Hazelwood story of how you funded your Quarantine sausages. Quarantine snacks. That would, <laughs> maybe you could do like a drive-through. A, they're allowing drive-through pickup of coffees yeah. and things like that at cafes and restaurants. So maybe, maybe that's something your mum could do. Set up a drive-through hot hazelwood sizzle. sausage sizzle. Wow. Yeah, maybe I'll uh, I'll put my barbecue on my new driveway and I'll set that up and start <laughs> selling snacks. <laughs> I, I like it. it, it well, if your mum does it here, yeah. I'll be the first one to go for a drive to buy one. That'd be excellent. Very good. <laughs> on, the <laughs> money point, on the money point of view, how have the sponsors reacted to the E Series? Todd, have they really enjoyed it? Yeah, they've been really accommodating. And, and to be honest, they, they, I think they're really enjoying it. You know, I think they're, they're glad that they've got their names out there and lights. And, you know, as you said before, we're getting massive hits with the, the telecast that's been produced 
also online as well, the way the reach that we're getting online through Facebook and, and Twitch and all the other channels that we're broadcasting to, it's been really good. Um, and the sponsors are loving it, well, which is, that was originally the whole concept around us, was trying to, I suppose, add some value while we're in downtime. We're all stuck at isolation. The car's out on track. At least we can try and do something that can, I think, as you guys have talked about it before, we're in a pretty fortunate position in, in our sport where we actually have the, the opportunity to be able to do this. So, obviously... You know, you've got other sporting codes where the drop, you know, their players are you know, drink driving and all doing all sorts of craziness while us supercar drivers are trying to put our head down. And, and supercars as a whole, you know, with the teams, the, the sponsors, the supercars themselves and drivers are all trying to do our bit to try and look after our, our community and trying to put our best foot forward and, and, and try and come out on this stronger than ever. It, it raises a, a good point and one that we haven't spoken to anyone about, and that's the mental health of drivers and the fact that this is... This is your job. This is your existence. This is what you guys do week in and week out. Now, all of a sudden, you've had that ripped away from you. I suppose E-Series has helped fill that bit of a void. But is there a little bit of a, a sort of a, a depressing moment for you guys just thinking we're not getting the chance to do what we love? Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. To be honest, I was in a bit of a scary place. Not not scary place, but you know, a bit of a dark place. Uh, I think once it all got announced and we weren't racing and you, all of a sudden, you get out of routine, you, you start wondering, you start thinking about it too much, I suppose, and, and it's like, kind of like, like you're saying, you lose your job, and for me, it's, you know, looking, I suppose, if you look too far down the track of, of uncertainty, when, when there's uncertainty, it, it can do crazy things to the mind, and um, you start overthinking certain scenarios and what, what might happen and where the sport might be in, in, say, 12 months' time or 24 months' time, you don't know. So, obviously, for me, I've invested so much of my youth getting to this point now and, and finally feel like I'm in a position to hopefully keep moving forward and make a career for myself. And I'm still in that, that phase where I haven't, I don't feel like I've made it fully yet. So I need to still keep working hard and use every day as an opportunity to keep improving, keep moving forward. So when you get put into this position where there's a whole, whole heap of uncertainty and you don't really know whether, what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. It can, it, you know, it is a bit scary. Um, but, you know, fortunately you just got to, Focus on what's now, and, and for me now, it's just E-Series. Focus on that and get through this, and hopefully it's just a bump in the road, and no doubt everyone behind the scenes, you know, both the supercar scenes, supercars themselves are working very hard to ensure when that moment is when we do go back racing, we're in a position where the sport is healthy and we can continue on um, doing great things. Well, before we let you go, Todd, it would be remiss of us to not touch on the fact that you've swapped teams and we haven't spoken to you since you... Uh, debuted with Brad Jones Racing at the Adelaide 500 earlier this year. Obviously, it's been a strange transition and you've only had one full race meeting with your new race team. But but what was the vibe initially in, in settling in with Bradley and Kim and that amazing group of people from Albury that continue to punch above their weight? Oh, it's been amazing. I've uh, loved every moment with the team. You know, all the boys there and girls have been super accommodating for myself. Ever since uh, it all got announced, essentially, end of last year, they invited me down. And I, at the start of the year, I tried to spend as much time as I could in the workshop, try and mingle with everyone, try and understand who was who and put a face to, a name to everyone's face, I should say, because coming from MSR, where there's, you know, there wasn't too many people working full time, all of a sudden you got a workshop with about 50 odd people. It was a big change up for me. Um, and then, you know, moving to Melbourne and, and all that, there was a lot going on at the start of the year. But Oh, we're really proud of our efforts at Adelaide. You know, there was a few things that didn't quite go our way, but overall, that we saw a lot of potential. There was a lot of lot of um, car speed to be found if we got it right. 
Um, we went to Grand Prix, and I think there was a few glimpses of speed. If we, you know, similar sort of scenario, if we put it together, it could have been golden. So, with the initial things that I've seen so far at BJR, have been fantastic. And I'm a little bit frustrated that we can't go racing because I'm really, you know, I was really excited to see what we could have achieved. And, you know, they've done some big developments over the off season leading into the start of the year. And there's a, you know, when you have development, you sometimes get it right and you get it wrong. And I think that was a perfect example of Adelaide when. We got it wrong, we're at the back, and I made a doozy in quality, and then we started at the back, but then we raced forward. We had top five race pace, and we, we just finished outside the top ten. So, you know, we taking away all the positives, it was, you know, seriously encouraging. So when we do go back racing, whenever that may be, I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what we can do. Fantastic stuff. Todd, thanks for joining us today. Really do appreciate it. Enjoy the remainder of the E-Series. Hopefully you keep getting better and better. Who knows, maybe a podium towards the end. Yeah, look, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, make sure you keep your eyes peeled for tomorrow because I've got a few updates on the sim and uh, it's certainly proving wonders for me. So, uh, yeah, hopefully keep moving forward. But thanks for having me on the show, guys. Appreciate it. Good on you, mate. Todd Hazelwood joining us here on The Grid. Crazy, we're joined by our good mate also from the racetalk.com, Mark Walker. G'day to you. Chebexter, Crazy. I've finished the Tiger King. Uh, all I've got left <laughs> in my nighttime life now is E Series and Bin Night, and they're both Wednesday. So oh. my social life is sort of loaded towards that end of the week. Well, aren't Wednesdays a great day? So On the Grid yeah. comes out each issue of On The Grid, yeah. Supercars E-Series at night, bin day for you, Mark. Mine's Monday, so week, week peaks early in the Crail residence to get the bin out, the, the three metres it goes for a walk. I might make Wednesday my binge day then. Binge day? What are you binging? <laughs> wow. No, actually, don't answer that question. <laughs> I promise I won't. <laughs> That's excellent. I love uh, how, are, how are we all going with, uh, with COVID-19, chaps? Are we, uh, are we all under control or are we going completely and utterly stir-crazy? Well, I think I'm okay. I think my family wants to kill me, though. I think that's definitely on the cards. Is that any different from your usual week, though? Oh, no, this is, this is bad. All right. Yeah, okay. no, this, this, is, uh, this is definite. I've seen knives come out of drawers. Oh, dear. And then go back in. That's just... <laughs> It is well, fun. It is. It's just so different though. It's life is just so different. Yeah, it's uh it's pretty bonkers. How are things in Queensland, Mark Walker? Um, well, we've been locked down for about six weeks now, I think. Like totally have not gone to a shop, have not uh had anything outside of our three little people in our little abode here. So that's um just right. So, so you great. get everything delivered, do you? Yeah, we've uh, figured out a little bit of sequence. We actually had a story up there in the race talk of uh, one of the local fruit wholesalers. He races and it's had to turn into a home delivery service. So sort of lean on him. And it, it's actually amazing what's out there that you can get that's actually cheaper than going to the shops and you're not there getting disease ridden, which is uh, a nice touch. It certainly is. Hey, guys, the biggest story, I'm sure, for the past week here in Australian motorsport has been the collapse of Virgin, which uh, I suppose has been complete in the last day or two. And the fact that they're uh, headed off to the administrators, that business is going to be slashed by a, a fair way to try and get back some of that $5.2 billion of debt that they owe. The big consequence, of course, for Australian motor racing is that they are the serious sponsor for uh, Virgin Australia supercars. 
they uh, put in about one and a half million dollars in contra and cheaper flights for teams, which equates to about $35,000 $35, for each of the teams in flights and the like. That's money now that those teams will have to find to try and complete the rest of the series. It's a, an, in- an interesting situation. Well, that, that's an interesting comment, Shebex, because it may not be, because we just don't know, much like all of the current world at the moment, we don't, we don't know. So it's worth touching on what the process has been. So Virgin's been in strife basically ever since most of Australian air transport, domestic air travel was grounded. Um, They've had some liquidity issues for a while financially, a lot of debt, as you mentioned. So a lack of trading was always going to hurt them more. Um, That's been the case. They they ceased trading two weeks ago and, and they've announced this week that they're going into voluntary administration. But voluntary administration, I've learned this week. I did some Googling and there's a story up on the racetalk.com about it. Voluntary administration is very different from a liquidator coming in and shutting a company down. This is a call that the board has made going, we're in strife. We need to find a way out of this. We need to find a way to trade out of this, ideally. And that's what voluntary administration does. It's basically it basically calls off the dogs. It stops everyone hunting for money. So let's say I'm a business that supplies Virgin and they owe me 5 million bucks. Going into voluntary administration puts at least a 30-day pause on me chasing them for that money while they try and work out a way to trade out of it, to find new investment, to find new financing on the debt so they can manage their debt load or worst case scenario, wind things up. Um, so it's probably important to note that because I think what we'll see out of this and certainly the early media reporting on this process is that there will be a saviour that comes in here. The, the Australian domestic airline market is too competitive for there not to be two carriers and the government needs there to be two carriers. But the business potential in it is pretty good as well. Virgin haven't done a great job in the last couple of years financially, but there'll be other operators out there who believe that they can come in and make it a profitable operation for them. Like it has been Qantas posted a profit of a couple hundred million dollars last financial year. So, and most of that was from their domestic business, not their international business. Um, So that's a positive. So hopefully there's a a pause on Virgin. And and if there was going to be time to have a pause, do it when no one's flying your airline because they can't. Um, And hopefully they come out the other side. Now, the other part to this boys is that, whether there's new ownership, new investment, whatever it might be, you still need to promote what you're doing. Now, there may need to be a renegotiation of whatever deals are in place, but if you're a business entity, you still need to get the name out there. You still need to market the opportunity and market the fact that you're in business and trying to sell some airline tickets. So sponsorship via supercars or via the AFL, Australian Football League, or the three individual teams they back in the AFL, um, they still need to be in the marketplace and get out there. So it's not all complete doom and gloom, but having said that, it is far from an ideal situation. But that's just a bit of background into how this works from a voluntary administration point of view. And it's not a full stop on version. It's not the end of the road. It's more like a, a hit pause, give it a bit of a, a shake up, clip it around the ears a little bit and try and re-engineer it to go better when and if it comes back. Yeah, there's a bit to break down. And I mean, the, the Virgin sponsorship of supercars was really good because they did a really good job of involving the drivers in those 
in-flight briefing videos that they do. Um, one of the things that they did that was really fantastic for the series was put on Sunday night specials out of Perth, out of Townsville, out of Darwin, Sydney and Melbourne, where all the teams are based. So the teams all saved on one night's accommodation. They put on a, a special flight about three hours after the race is finished. Everyone pack up real quick, run to the airport, get on these supercar specials that would get them back home that night. So that was a really good thing. And hopefully whatever airline markets left afterwards, they would figure that out, that it was a good thing and it was a flight that would always sell out. So, uh, yeah, a lot to break down. Obviously, the airline industry, we need two players there or else it's going to cost 800 bucks to fly between Sydney and Melbourne. No one wants to do that. So uh, I know Shebexter, we're both Virgin loyalists and uh, yes. we, we've got, uh, you know, it's a great company and a great service and a, a great brand. So hopefully it uh, manages to come out the other side. The other thing to think about too is uh, something we've talked a bit about on the race talk this last week is the reorganisation of the 2020 Supercars calendar. Where are we going to wind up racing? Are we going to have a more compact uh, sort of southeast corner of Australia-centric calendar, which will mean that there won't be a necessity to do these big long-haul flights to Darwin, New Zealand, Perth. Uh, there may well be, but is it worth going all the way to Perth if you're not going to race in front of any punters there? Are the local sponsors going to be up for that? Uh, that's something that's going to have to play out as well. So if it's something that is the championship winds up being a bit more close to home, there won't be as big a need for all this air travel. Yeah, it's a good point. The other thing we're talking about with Virgin, boys, is that they're a really good sponsor. From a visibility standpoint, they're the kind of backer you want. Um, and like you touched on, Mark, uh, you know, Jamie Winkup popped up in the safety film. They filmed it at Bathurst for crying out loud, which was terrific. What a great tie-in. Um, having the Virgin Australia jet fly over before the start at at the Super Cheap Auto Bathurst 1000 was terrific. And you might go, oh, airline are doing the flyover, much better having a fighter jet. But I'll give you the hot tip of Boeing 737 at 500 feet. pretty impressive to watch. So stuff like that were really good parts of that sponsorship. And, and as we touched on, the, the financial side of this was a really good part of the deal that was done under James Warburton's tenure before he, he left as Supercar CEO was, was let's not focus so much on getting a cash sponsor who's just tipping in minions, but let's try and find a value add that reduces the overhead costs. So, you know, as a freelancer in this sport, if I could find a airline sponsor that would cover my airline costs, I would be the happiest human being in the world because it would save me an enormous amount of money. If you're a race team like Triple Eight, flying 30 people around the country every, you know, 16 times a year or supercars with an enormous amount of staff, um, it, it's a legitimate saving to your bottom line. So we're not like Europe. We're not like the States where the States fly a lot, but Europe, a lot of the travel's done on road or rail. So there's some savings there. The geography of Australia is such that you've got to fly. Otherwise, it takes three days to get anywhere. Um, so it's a really good sponsor to have. And um, it's the kind of sponsor that you want to continue because it legitimately adds value to the product. And then there's the fringe benefits. So Virgin have approximately last financial year, 3.9 million customers flying with them across the course of the financial year. That's 3.9 million people reading the Virgin in-flight mag, which would for supercars or a feature about the sport or Virgin's involvement. 
in-flight videos, watch the racing on demand, all that kind of stuff that are the fringe benefits that are hard to hard to categorize in terms of a, an absolute net return for the series, but all add value. And that's the kind of sponsor that you really want uh, as a title sponsor of your championship. So yeah, it's a big story. And it's just unfortunate that at a time when supercars are going through the same thing that every other major sport are in Australia in terms of standing down staff, trying to battle through financially. Um, they're trying to negotiate a new TV deal. Um, they're trying to work out what their schedule looks like. They're trying to engineer a new car for 2022. They've got so much stuff going on that's all up in the air. The last thing they needed was their title sponsor going going bunkers. So um, fingers crossed that they can pick themselves up and um, if not Virgin, find a find a replacement that can offer some form of the value that they have from their title sponsorship deal. I'd like to pick up on the second part of your point, Mark, as well, in regards to the 2020 calendar. And there's been some talk on the racetalk.com this week about the possibility of racing at uh, more permanent tracks such as Malala and uh, Wakefield Park and Morgan Park and, and those sort of tracks and whether they come involved. I also see today that there's a, uh, a story during the rounds about the possibility of tourism between Australia and New Zealand becoming a bit of a bubble. So while there might not be international travel, heading to New Zealand might not be a bad thing. And I'm thinking with that in mind, could there be the possibility that we might get a Pukekohe and a Hampton Downs on, on, on uh, consecutive weekends over there as two rounds of the series? Yeah, why not? I mean, any, anything's up, up in the air at the moment. Uh, it's obviously in supercars court to see what they do with it. Uh, that article you mentioned on the race talk that we put up there on Sunday, uh, I think it's caused a, a bit of chat because there's so many options out there. And it's not just the permanent tracks that we have come to know and love over the years. It's the permutations there of the permanent tracks that we can use. You look at Sydney Motorsport Park, how many different layouts they've got there. Uh, the bend, we've got from 7.77 k's on the Goliath track down to the, the short little tracks the company owns Malala around the corner. You go and spend two weekends in South Australia, you could have five different races and it'd be fantastic. And there wouldn't be that massive accommodation. Well, you know, there'd be accommodation, but it'd be spread out over the five races. So it really wouldn't be that bad compared to traipsing around the countryside every two weeks like we have been doing. So there's a lot of a lot of options in play. And, and Rich, you meant had, had the article there with Malala would be fantastic. If we can't have punters in the track, let's send it to these places that aren't going to cater to a massive audience. Yeah, and and let's do something different as well. But boys, I've got it on very good authority that the success of the E-Series has changed the game a little bit here and that, that midweek racing will now be on the cards, um, as it should be. And, and we've already, we've talked about it on this show and we're not the only ones in the world that have talked about this before. But uh, the, the fact that Fox Sports is drawing an audience of 70, 75,000 average, peaking at 150 to watch virtual racing on a Wednesday night, prime time. I reckon that has had people in Supercars HQ go, hmm, that's, uh, that's really interesting. What would the real world product do? And, and we've analysed this at length on the racetalk.com. Uh, around the world, United States here, the average audience for broadcast e-series racing so supercars e-series on fox indycar and nbcsn in the states is somewhere between 40 and 50 percent 
of the audience that a real race would draw. So if you take that, that sort of maths and go, okay, we're going to do a Wednesday night race under lights at Sydney Motorsport Park to bring supercars back or Mallard or Queensland Raceway, wherever it doesn't literally does not matter where you do it. Um, the, the ratings would be substantial. Um, and that is what is going to drive this moving forward because TV is going to be such a massive driving part of, of the sport for the next six months, especially if we can't get crowds back. So I, I reckon we'll see midweek racing. This is such a good opportunity to experiment and do things out of the box with no, no penalties, with no drama, Mark, and, um, and just see if it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. It's not a loss. You've had a crack. Have a go. Now's the time to do it. But I reckon we'll see midweek racing. I, I would throw a bit of cash that we'll see midweek racing at some point this year. Shabex, what about Wednesday night? Take ownership of Wednesday night. Football codes have nearly every other night of the week sign up. Yeah. Why isn't it Supercar Wednesday? Let's do it. Yeah. No, exactly. But how would that look? I mean, would you just have everything just in one day? So you'd start, yep. you'd start in the morning with your practice session, qualifying the afternoon, and maybe two races, including a night race. Well, two, two night races, Shabex. Friday, think Friday night football. Game starts at 7.30 p.m., 10 past 7, whatever it is. Uh, you'd, you wouldn't need to be at the track as a team until two o'clock in the afternoon. We waste so much time pounding around in meaningless practice sessions anyway. One practice session, 40 minutes, an hour, whatever, open track, off you go. Qualifying, pause, live TV starts, 6, 6.30, whatever works for prime time when the numbers are going to peak at about 8 p.m. Work around that and... Um, Two races, short races, sprint races. We don't need to do pit stops to keep minimum people down. All of that stuff. Tight little two and a half, three hour package. It would be brilliant. But remember, Booker Cody was at 2014 when we raced there on Anzac Day. Yeah. Uh, we all logged up early in the morning for the Anzac Day service. We sat around until lunchtime. One practice session, one qualifying bank. Went racing that afternoon. All got done in one day. For everyone, you, you rolled out of the, it wasn't a truck you rolled out of New Zealand, but you just uh, sent it out the track and went racing. You don't need to have all these practice sessions. Yeah, and, and this is the opportunity to, to beat that out of the system in a way. There are some events where you're going to keep practicing that short Bathurst will be one, but, and there's some events where you need it because you need to sell three days worth of tickets. So you've got to put something on Friday. But um, yeah, this, this is an opportunity, I, I think, for us to go crazy and do, do different things. And the success of midweek racing has, I think, emboldened the sport, or it can, and I hope it does, to, to do different things and, and to put some, some midweek racing on. And you're right, we would absolutely own it because the football codes won't do it. We oh, can't I, see that I, happening. I think they will, especially with this short and truncated season that they're going to have. I reckon we're going to see football or AFL football at least nearly every night of the week. They'll, I, wait, I, they'll, they'll play Monday through to Sunday. I, I'd back... I would back supercars against that in NRL because you're going to have two teams playing a game of football where there are only two markets or if they're two Melbourne teams, one market watching mm. in, in any mass numbers, whereas supercars is a national sport and draws a pretty broad audience from all, all five states and the, and the territory. So I, I would back running a product against that. And we saw yeah. that, Mark, last year at Barbagello with the Barbagello Saturday night race, which was up against two football codes and did pretty well on its own right. 
Well, you look at NRL, they play Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday night. They're mm. nights the week off for Tuesday and Wednesday. You have, if you start playing Tuesday and Wednesday, how much fired up will Eddie Maguire be? You wouldn't be able to deal with it if, if Collingwood didn't have a few days off between games. Oh. You'd, you'd never hear the end of it. It's hard enough as it is. But well, I agree with him. What we do know is that it's going to be a very different season 2020 than what we've been used to in the past. There's, there's no doubt about that. Do we have a feel about how... We, we've thrown up a lot of uh, thoughts about how it's going to look. Do we have any sort of feel? Is there anything coming out of anywhere as to how the season might look? Uh, no, it, it's too early. And, and it, every single thing we discuss is based on government and what they do. Mm. And the number one thing is borders have to be open. So and Chris Lewis-Williams brought that point up perfectly. Yeah, yeah. He said, you can get into Queensland... He said, but if you come out, he said, well, then you've got to, or, or if you leave Queensland for those teams in Queensland, when yeah. they come in, they're going to spend 14 days in quarantine at the moment and yeah. probably for the foreseeable future. You can't have that. No, and that's the big, that's the big issue, isn't it? So, you know, the AFL and NRL are talking quarantine hubs where they send six teams to one at region just to stay there. Maybe you do go, all right, Melbourne teams, you're going to Queensland. We're going to race up there for three weeks, stay up there, do a deal with Ridges to sponsor some accommodation or Airbnb or somebody um, and quarantine them at Queensland Raceway. Certainly sounds like quarantine to me. We may as well send them to Christmas Island. But um, (laughs) That's detention. It is. (laughs) But there there could be ways around it. But I I think state borders opening up is the number one thing that has to happen. You can probably, as we touched on with Chris earlier in the show, you can get around the 500 people thing if that's what we go back to. Yeah. There are ways and means. Um, but letting teams cross borders and then going back home without having to quarantine for two weeks is going to be the number one thing. Look, the, the most promising thing for me, Shebex, is that I'm in Adelaide. We've had three consecutive days with zero cases, new cases. Um, and as we record this, we had two today. So two cases in four days is pretty impressive. Yeah. So the, the curve's been flattened and it, oh, you get the vibe that it's not far from being squashed. So we're doing that. I think Tuesday in Australia, there were 14 new cases in total. Yeah, correct. Um, so that's really positive. We've got to get that under control, get the contact tracing sussed, 60-minute tests are a thing. If, if that goes well over the next four weeks, then states will be much more comfortable about opening borders up. And, and that's when we can start finding something definitive about when we go racing. So it's only April. Um, we'll get to mid-May. And the, the point I've made many times through all these boys is that, do you remember March, which, which was three years ago now? No. <laughs> no. But, but how different was the world then to what it is now? Yeah, it correct. changed comprehensively in five weeks. Remember when the Grand Prix got shut down? That was yeah. the worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe. Yeah, it was correct. unforgivable. It was awful. Yeah, yeah. correct. So, so the world has changed completely. And so what's it going to look like in four weeks' time? That's, that's my view. And, and hopefully the positive trend continues. So in four weeks, it might be a completely different scenario and we'll, um, we'll find out. Boys, uh, we put the call out. Just on the back of that too, we should be sending our love and prayers to all of our listeners over in Europe through the UK and the like as well, who are doing it. As you said, we're sort of flattening the curve and things are coming good for us down here, but we know that there's still many, many problems over there through that continent. So our love and best wishes to all of you over there. And uh, hopefully 
you're uh, you're surviving this period well. Yeah, and and to our audience in the states as well, it's just shocking for us. Yeah. Um, it, it's a pretty good time, boys, to be living on an island, a big one. But uh, we're living. Richard on an Branson's island. got one up for sale, apparently. Yeah, well, he's going to have to mortgage it to Bar Virgin, and I think so. Uh, Necker Island going cheap. Um, boys, earlier this week, we put the call out via the Radio Show Limited social media channels uh, to get some questions in from our global tour. Uh, and I think we can fire through a few of those if you uh, each have no objection. Please. Uh, one from Ian Keyworth. And this is a point that we talked about last week. Uh, Howdy, currently enjoying the Supercars Virtual World Tour, as I think we all are. Could this inspire an actual world tour post-corona to some countries? Uh, logistics would be hard, but I would definitely go and watch at Silverstone. I would also go and watch at Silverstone. And I think Mark would too. You've been there as well. It's a ripper place. Um, it's a massive challenge. We've been overseas before with supercars, but it's tantalizing, isn't it? To think of our little product going and racing on some of these tracks, which is what E-Series is giving us an opportunity to see, Mark. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the thing with these overseas races. It was always that the promoter paid. Mm. It was always a big sanction fee. They, flew everyone and all the kid over there and then supercars had to make some cash out of it. We've been to America, China, uh, the Middle East, Bahrain, everywhere. But uh, it was always, they'd do it a few times and then the promoter, it didn't quite work out with the money. So uh, I'm sure supercars would be up for racing anywhere on the face of the planet so long as it made financial sense. Yeah, and I think without a, uh, an airline as a sponsor now, that's going to make it even harder <laughs> again because obviously they've got some good discounts, uh, supercars, in regards to their flights overseas. It would be fantastic, wouldn't it, to see our product going around the world. And as you said, we've seen it in America. We've seen it through Abu Dhabi. Uh, we've seen it through uh, Asia as well to an extent. But, yeah, to see it on if it was three or four or five races in the year where you race on some of the best tracks in the world, that would just be amazing. There are two markets. The UK would be immense. I'm just gutted that I never got to go to Austin on that, that yeah, junket because that looked like yeah. a pretty good junket to be on when we went to Dakota. It's sad that that didn't continue because that, that would have been a very cool staple. And I, I feel like the Americans would have loved um, would have loved supercar racing. So I had two trips to Abu Dhabi and one to Bahrain. And it was interesting because while the racing wasn't too bad, it was probably a little bit mundane, especially on the Abu Dhabi track there was no crowds there. So it was one of those things where it was just mm. a, a total promotion of the region. And, you know, this is where we are. Have a look at us. But the number of people that actually came was zero. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think short answer is it'd be great. Probably not going to happen, especially now, but if we go international, more New Zealand, let, let's jam a couple of rounds over there. Cause it's an amazing country and they've got some, awesome racetracks as well. Uh, Tom Firth asked a couple. We've already basically answered one, which was with regards to Virgin. Um, but the second one is an interesting question. Eugene Rocker has spoken about wanting more permanent circuits in Australia. We touched on this with Chris Lewis-Williams earlier in the show. Uh, any areas that you feel would really benefit from having one via a temporary circuit uh, and any upcoming venues that could happen in the very near future? Um, my initial thought, and Mark, we, we cover this on the race talk um, we, in your Sunday story and a little bit more in the, the Malala yarn I wrote on Monday. Um, yeah, Townsville, North Queensland, probably a permanent track up there between Cairns and um, Townsville ideally would work really well. I would have thought um, Sydney, New South Wales needs more permanent tracks. And this is why um, 
Bathurst Regional Council are trying to get their second circuit up adjacent to Mount Panorama to get one going up there. Thoughts? Uh, there's always a lot of chat about Newcastle. There's always something on the boil there, but it never seems to quite uh, come off. Then there's uh, one down there east of Melbourne that seems to be getting Packing. a bit of... Yeah, down that way, which would be interesting, on the way to Phillip Island. So, obviously, Sandown's not going to be there forever, and Mel- Melbourne's a massive place. It would be great if Calder would somehow get resurrected. It'd be great if Adelaide International got resurrected. Uh, it'd be great if Lakeside was up to Cam Spec, but it's uh, sort of gone a bit in the opposite direction there. It's <laughs> still <be> open. <laughs> it's, uh, it's still open, but it's uh, not, not quite raceable by national standards. So, well, on, on that, Mark, you're a Queenslander. You've got Queensland Raceway. In a city of two and a half million people, Queensland Raceway is your permanent track. So Brisbane would be crying out for a second venue, surely. Adelaide's got two for crying out loud. I suppose Lakeside did. Mm. Um, I think that the audience up here is pretty well uh, used to having those options, the non-CAMS options, because the only CAMS track in Queensland is out of Walking Park, which yeah. is a two-hour drive. So. This, this state motorsport up here is sort of adjusted to not having cams as a, a general thing. So obviously uh, a fair bit of talk about Perth as well, getting something out there and or doing a, a duplicate track, a second track above Gallo. I saw an article there on motorsport.com about that not long ago. So there's always stuff in the in the works, but the problem is now that everyone's going to be a bit strapped for cash. Where's the funding going to come from? Is it going to be the governments? I mean, the governments have a lot of, priorities at the moment that probably aren't motorsport facilities but on the flip side you go back to the great depression in the 30s the product of that was that they need to pay people to go and do things it's no good just paying people to sit in the dole and sit at home all day they paid people to go and build bathurst so there's this opportunity down the track that they're going to have to mobilize the workforce somehow and building projects and infrastructure and whatnot you know if we can build a couple of racetracks out of it that'd be awesome yeah, be uh, permanent. Yeah, we need more. There's no doubt about it. Street street racing, especially for the next couple of years, is going to be really hard for governments to justify. And that, that, as unfortunate as that is, the money that they're spending on what's happening at the moment is going to be very hard for them to get back in. So we could see the end of street circuits in Australia for at least three or four years. I would have thought. Well, Shebex, you're you're a you're a Melbourneian. Um, Melbourne has reasonable motorsport infrastructure. Phillip Island's an amazing place, but yeah. it's hugely expensive to use. Uh, Winston's two hours up the road. We heard from Chris earlier in the show. Sandown's still there. Sandown's there, but you can't use it because people complain about the noise and it's got a shelf life. Yeah. Surely now is the time for the Vic government to chuck some cash at Calder and at least get the road course up there because that's the only other opportunity to get a, a basically suburban racetrack up and running in Australia's second largest population zone. Don't need to convince me, mate. A fantastic track Calder has always been. And uh, to see it in a state at the moment and uh, the Thunderdome with the money that was spent on that and to see the state of that at the moment, it's disappointing. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to see someone just grab it and say, right, yeah, let's do it. I think it'll be a massive winner. The only other question we've got uh, from Andy Reid, um, and I can answer this one pretty quickly, I think. Uh, one thing I want to see is, uh, WEC in Australia at an ideal circuit uh, with supercars as a support race. The atmosphere would be great. 
It would be. It would be interesting. Can't see it happening. Um, if WEC is going to World Endurance Championship, we're talking about comes to Australia, it will be at the Bend Motorsport Park. I think that's a foregone conclusion, uh, given the Asian Le Mans series has already been there and they're promoted by the same entity. Um, the relationship is there between the ACO and the Bend. Uh, the track is good enough to host it. Um, travel, international travels, the big thing. And who pays for it? Uh, that will be the big thing. But if you could whack it in September alongside the Ben 500 supercar race, that'd be a bloody good race meeting. Pit lane would be an issue yeah. working that out, but there's two racetracks there. There's all sorts of infrastructure you could use. It's not without the realms of impossibility in this crazy world we live in, but um, if it's going to happen, that would be the place for it to happen. It would be the most suited place for it to happen. That track was all but designed for those race cars. So, um, But that sort of stuff for the bend on consecutive weekends would be perfect because you would get people come from interstate that would go and watch a WEC weekend, stay there for the rest of the week, do their tours of Barossa and the like, and then come back to the bend for the weekend to watch supercars and go home. What a great week it would be. Motorsport tourism. Yeah. Oh. I don't disagree with you, Shebeki. Uh, especially the bit about the Barossa. I don't know what else Australia. But Why would you go to the race meetings? Just come no, to the Barossa exactly, Valley. Just go to Barossa, exactly. Right. Hey, guys, before we leave, we must uh, just quickly touch off on E-Series and the success of Max Verstappen in the uh, series last. And once again, I say that, and Siri comes up with Max. Isn't that a weird? <laughs> I did this last week. And it's done it again. I've just mentioned the word Max Verstappen. I am... Siri's just gone on my iPad. I'm having trouble hearing you. Shebex, I'm increasingly concerned about what you're Googling when we're not recording this podcast. I'm, I'm worried, but we'll, we'll touch on that. Max Verstappen, what an amazing uh, addition he was to the supercars field last week. Yeah, it was great. It was, it was super. He did a really good job. He was engaging in TV. Um, he was competitive as you'd expect. Um, and, and by all accounts, the online audience from last week was double week one. So he'd have to go a long way to doing that. And the best thing is, is that they're continuing on with this. So willpower, willpower up for week three. Simona Di Silvestro back for week three. A bunch of Dunlop series wildcards as well. Um, willpower is a cool addition. He's a very good sim well, I'm, looking, so. I'm looking forward to the clash between willpower and Scott McLaughlin. Well, they could end the, up on the... Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Um, and and we're we're going oval racing, boys, in a few weeks. Mark, I know you'll love that as a as a closet NASCAR fan. Um, do, do we dare dream that we can lure Dale Junior in for a cameo? It's got to happen, doesn't it? I mean, that's all he's doing now is <laughs> sitting on a sim. He's an IndyCar driver. He's a NASCAR driver. He's doing everything at the moment because he's always loved it. Though that's always been his little hobby. So. Uh, It'll be interesting. I wonder who's going to be the first supercars driver to roll their sim rig. You saw <laughs> that with Jordan Taylor over in the States. He barrel his sim rig. Who's it going to be? It's going to happen at Talladega, surely. Uh, well, yeah. Well, yes, it would be. I, I was trying. I was going to say Rick Kelly, but he's got real serious all of a sudden. He'd break four um, LG screens if he did. And he's the only one who's built his own sim rig, and I reckon it looks pretty well engineered. I know he'll get bad splinters though. It's going to yeah. be. <laughs> True. <laughs> oh yeah, who rolls? I don't know. I'm not sure. That that's they all they're all pretty solid. They've yeah. done such. Rico did a good job last week, and he was up to fifteenth. Uh, yeah. Like it wasn't Charlie and Charlie. Like he did a really solid job. Obviously, putting the time in. I noticed the video today that he, he just mm. keeps chipping away at it. He's stolen the pedals out of his race car to put on his sim. 
yeah, and and not pinch the <laughs> steering wheel and the the button set up off the actual race car and and adapted it. And he's, I, I full credit to Kelly Racing. We need credit where credit's due. And when we get to the Supercar Media Awards at the end of the year, which I'm convinced will still happen, um, the end of the year that is at some point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not the Supercar Media Awards. Who knows? I, I bloody hope the end of the year gets here at some point. Um, <laughs> The, the Kelly Racing are going to be a strong candidate for best use of social media because they their videos, yeah, both before this building the Mustangs and now during it, have been just top quality stuff. Full just credit. a reminder, though, to all those entrants of the Supercars Media Awards, that the decision isn't that of Richards or mine. It is actually judged based. So I don't know. Blame the judges. Don't blame us. <laughs> I love it. No, it's good. No, looking no, it's forward to uh, looking forward to more A series, boys. It continues to be the uh, the the bin collection day, uh, getting out of the house and watching some television. It's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it certainly is, boys. We'll leave it at that. Thank you so much for your uh, attention this week again, and look forward to catching up with you again next week. Pleasure always, Shebex is all yours. Cheers, Shebex. I can't wait till bin night. Richard Crail and Mark Walker joining us here on The Grid. That's another show done and dusted. Thanks for your company. We'll catch you again next week.